Welcome to seniors and the people who love them. I'm Cookie. I'm Pinky. And I'm Wendy. Today, we are bringing to you episode number 10 of our podcast. We've discussed acute rehabilitative care. We've discussed subacute care. And last week, we discussed assisted living facilities. This brings us to our topic today, which is long-term care. But our weekly disclaimer is that we are not physicians or lawyers. If you have a medical issue or a legal issue, please seek a practitioner or lawyer to give you professional. So let's talk a little about long-term care. We know that there have been, in the minds of those that I have interacted with, I don't know how it's been for you, Wendy, and you, Pinky, but people are always asking, what is long-term care? And I think this episode will focus on long-term care in a facility. And when I say facility, it's the word that people don't like to hear. These are the words, nursing home care, being in a skilled nursing facility and then transitioning perhaps into that same facility in a long-term care environment. And I think People that come to long-term care come from a variety of different places. Some people were at home and they've just failed at home. They don't have the caregiving they need or their clinical condition has deteriorated so that their loved ones can't handle it or they can't handle it if they were living alone. Some folks are coming straight from a hospital after a serious injury or illness, surgery, Some folks are stepping down from a lighter level of care, like assisted living facilities, very similar to what we talked about last week. Yeah, and that's true, Wendy, because if you look at it, people who are not successfully surviving the community outside, which you say they're not able to take care of themselves, they do come on a long-term care. When they come on a long-term care, there is a payment issue that arrives that who is going to pay, how they're going to pay, where the money coming from. Let's discuss about how they can pay in a nursing home. First of most is they can privately, like they have a lot of money. There is a certain eligibility follows. And if they are not eligible for that, they have to pay privately. Now, private rate runs different from each nursing home. And it differs from private room to semi-private room or three-bedroom because there are different rates and a certain facility that both all three three rooms. So depend on that. Second one comes to most of the long-term care medical assistance. What medical assistance means, this is state payment that they are paying for taking care of loved one or in a long-term care. Now, there is a very strict criteria for medical assistance because government paying for you, that means you don't have no income. Only income you can have is a $2,500, sorry, I'm saying rupees because I'm in India, (laughs) $2,500 in your bank account. And that include everything you have, your estate, your... Any cash value of a life insurance policy. You go, life insurance, your house, Mm -hmm. everything included. If you don't have anything of those estate, 
and you have only 2,500, financially, you are eligible for long-term care. But there is also other part of it that also applied that you are in condition that you need a long-term care and that called level of care. And that state given us after some document provide that what kind of help you need and stuff. They give you level of care. They are saying, yes, you are eligible stay on a long-term care because you need a medical help. Pinky, let's back up a minute so we'll make sure our listeners are understanding. You haven't said anything about spousal allowance or what a spouse can have. So you're speaking strictly of a single individual. Correct. Okay. That is, I'm talking so in, completely. The person doesn't have anybody except themselves. Speaking for gotcha. themselves. In other words, they have the property or estate or house on their own. They do not have a spouse or combine the property. I'm just talking about individual. I will come with the spouse criteria. So this is eligibility provide. The caveat to that, <laughs> the, what government does is whatever social security you getting it at your age, they take that away from you and pay for your stay. So it's not that they're gonna pay for your state in long-term care, and giving you your social security or disability. Whatever government payment you're getting, they're going to stop that. What they do is, example, you get social security $2,000. Your long-term stay is a $6,000. They add $4,000 to pay for your stay there. So that's the way financial work for individuals on long-term care. When you say they... You just mentioned federal with Social Security, but long-term care is paid for by state. Correct. Explain that a little more. Any government, federal or state, when it comes to it, whatever financially government providing, they're not going to give you that and give you to long-term care. Yes, they also give you $40 to spend every month for your personal use. But because long-term care taking care of you, everything you need, they're not going to give you your social security, disability, any government, federal or state. They are not giving you subsidized on top of paying you for long-term care. So the allowance that we're allowed to have and what Pinky is saying is that once you get approved for medical assistance, all your assets or at least your assets are counted. Your total amount should be no more than twenty five hundred. Now I thought it was up to twenty seven. I thought it's seventy dollars, not forty. I thought it you could, could have be. seventy dollars now. I think yeah. it's higher because we've been out of yeah. that field for a bit. Yes, you could right. be right. You could be absolutely yeah, I right. I think it's seventy now because I you are I've been in it. I think I just got out of it in the last three years. So in a long-term care facility where people look for their $70 every month. Absolutely. So I think it is, I think yeah. it is 70 now. Once anyway, upon a time, centuries ago, before uh -huh. I became a nurse, I was a business office manager for a long-term care center. And uh -huh. this was back in the early 2000s. We had some patients who were also on respiratory equipment and they were paying privately their bills would be seven to $12,000 a month private pay. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. was 20 years ago. 
It's pretty crazy. I remember how shocked I was as I was always in healthcare, but never in like long-term care, how shocked I was as a relative newcomer to the field that it costs so much. And I think the place that I was at did have vents and trachs and respiratory equipment. And that's probably why it was so high. And you if you were so private right. pay, you could pay for physical therapy, occupational therapy extra if you wanted. And that was also all tacked on. So some people had yeah. huge estates and would continue to pay monthly for that for years. Yeah. And you are so right. Healthcare is move on drastically upward on financial payoff. You're talking about 7020 it probably 40,000 by now. It is that drastically financially increased. So as Cookie say, $70 you get allowances you call every month. You can spend that anything, even you are leaving, staying in a long-term care and you can spend anywhere you wish to. And I remember when I was on a long-term care a few years ago, it is the date that a client waiting for. Because line they up outside the business pay. office. You're right. <laughs> yes. They would line up outside the business office. And oftentimes yes. that money comes to the business office. They do the rep pay, even though the person may not be able to, to make their health care decisions, but they still knew that they had $70 each month yep. and they look forward to that. Yep. If the smoker, like the client yes. is a smoker, if you give them a money at one time, they'll be spending in the first week. And then the That's three right. weeks, they're looking for it. So in other words, business officers also become their accountant. And they give right. you that $70 weekly division and give them, this week I'm going to give you $20. Next week you come $20. So they don't run out their private $70 resource and last for one month because it's gone. It's gone. There is no more money coming to them. Now, some people are bad return and not able to use that $70. What their loved one or facility themselves can buy some private equipment or need for them, like personal thing, like gowns to wear or whatever. Because also that $70, if you don't use it, it will add up on your $2,500 or $2,700 then you're not eligible for it. Also make sure that if you're $70 and you are on a max on your account, 2,700, you use $70 every month on something because our government doesn't look that you have a $2,750, it's only $50 more than you should. They will cut your medical assistant for that month. Even it's a $50. So we need to make sure that your allowances in your bank or wherever, it does not exist the limitation because otherwise you could disqualify for medical assistant. So that's a second payment. Now there is a third payment there in say long-term insurance. I have not successfully known that long-term care insurance pay for any care in long-term care. I have um, experienced some long-term care yeah. insurances that pay. Usually they pay after the fact, meaning the family member has to pay themselves. They have to 
show evidence that they have paid. They have to have very detailed clinical and financial records to show that the person was in there, that they got a certain level of care, that it was paid for. And then they will make either a partial payment or a full payment. But I say this with the biggest of buts, because also in my experience is that there are unscrupulous long-term care insurances. Many of them have crazy loopholes and they have loopholes that are almost designed to get your claim denied and the appeal processes are complicated. I had one that is the most recent case that I dealt with where under hospice care, room and board is not covered under the Medicare benefit and it can be 200 to $600 a day. It clearly is room and board that should be covered under a long-term care insurance, but the long-term care insurance wouldn't pay it because they were insistent that it was a Medicare benefit, which yes, hospice is a Medicare benefit, but room and board is not part of that. And it went on and on this gentleman who had paid for this long-term care insurance for 30 years and also happened to be a retired judge, was not going to let this go. And I was like working with him and helping him to assist him to get it paid because I get crazy about these things too. Like it makes me really upset when you can see it so obviously should have been paid. And he did get it paid. I had every faith in him that he was going to win. He did finally get it paid. But I think for the average lay person, they probably would have given up or they would have just been confused or they would, wouldn't have pursued it and would not have gotten it paid. So I can say that if you're thinking about purchasing a long-term care insurance policy, please talk to your broker, read all of the fine print, ask for other people's opinions, and really make sure you know what you're doing with a reputable company. I agree with that, Wendy, because contrary to popular belief, long-term care insurance doesn't cover your stay forever. There is a time limit as well that people have to understand. Get an attorney to review your long-term care policy, get a broker, get someone who has some experience in terms of them using that company so that way you know that it's a reputable company. Getting back to the long-term care itself, Pinky did explain in detail the difference in what a single person, she didn't speak to the issue of a spouse. So you want to address that, Pinky, now? Yes. Just if you're married. If you're married and your spouse is alive, they also consider your spouse as your partner. In other words, if you are living in a house and your spouse is living in a house, they are not going to consider that your own estate because that estate has divided. Now, what does happen? Spouse can live in the home, doing whatever he has to do. What happens is if spouse expire, that property will be considered your estate, half of your estate, because your estate, your husband passed away, it become your estate. So then medical assistant will that estate in their possession. In other words, they will take whatever they pay you until then. And then whatever money left is considered you are paying privately for a while and then medical assistant kick in. But that's what 
estate does take on account, not at the present time if your spouse is living, but if your spouse is expired and you have become state owner, that estate also become payment for medical government that they already pay you for. And that balance out whatever they take out and whatever you have become in your account. And if it's more than 2,500, again, you will not eligible for medical assistance until you spend down that amount that you have received to this estate until 2,700. So it's not that if you have a spouse and you have a house, government will kick your spouse out of your house because you are living on a long-term care. They won't let them live in along their own home. That will not consider your estate present time. It can have serious implications for people, especially if you are counting on your house to be part of your retirement planning and the value of your house. You're thinking, I have this big giant house that's worth a lot of money. And when the time comes, I can downsize and I can take that money and use that for my retirement or my housing. And that's all can have very serious implications. So I think it's important to know that you're not at risk of being homeless, but you are, you, that is your estate that is being cut into that. And the thing that I always recommend, and I'd like to get somebody on the podcast also to talk about this, is I recommend if you have any kind of estate, like seriously, anything $100,000, $50,000 or over, please go see an elder care attorney. There are ways for your assets to be legally sheltered. You're not breaking the law. You're not committing fraud. Lawyers know how to do this legally. And if all the billionaires can do it, why shouldn't the average person do it? So please and, see an elder yeah, care attorney. Speaking of average person, people don't realize that the state looks back five years. There's a look back period of five years. You may have a conversation and you with one of your family members and you may want to start moving that money now. They find everything, every nook. They look under every nook and cranny trying to make sure that you aren't sheltering any money. And a lot of people think that life estates or trusts will cover or protect them, not always. So just listen to Wendy and get the advice of an elder care Yeah, I highly recommend it. And I've seen it happen. I've seen people with a large estate, they go off to their attorney and they come back several months later and it's all sheltered. It's all done under the guidance and the viewing of the state that is providing the benefits. So again, I highly recommend seeking an elder care attorney. A lot of people think it's not worth the cost, but it is. And I would love to get somebody on the podcast to talk about that too. I would love that. Yeah, well, you can also I want to make a point, Wendy, say, when you're choosing an elder care lawyer, be careful. In every professional, there are some goofy one or screwed up one. They are there for just for somebody's money. My past experience, the elder care charged the client of their services. And every time we ask for elder care lawyer to give some money for that client. They never have the money. So they are, there is 
thumb of the lawyer, you're not doing good thing for clients. So be careful who you choose as your elder care lawyer. Well-known, reputable, market. researched companies are the best. Yeah, correct. And I agree with that. So one thing we wanted to talk about is what a typical day looks like in a long-term care. I've started out as a nurse in long-term care centers. So I would say it's really going to depend on the individual and what that patient or resident is capable of. Some folks need help getting out of bed. Some people can do a lot by themselves. So it's totally going to depend. They do have staff. It's not one-to-one -one staff. So those staff will be taking care of other people too. So they will come and they will assist you with your individual needs, meaning do you just need setup? I need like my toothbrush and my toothpaste set up for me. I need my washcloth. I can wash my face by myself. It's really going to depend on that. Some people need, they get a bed bath or they get assistance with showering. So it's really going to depend. What is it going to take for that individual to start their day? Generally, meals are provided. We've worked in places together where meals were in a communal dining room, which I think is really good for most people. And if you didn't want to eat your meal in the communal dining room, you could have it in your room. Again, totally up to the individual, but generally breakfast, lunch, and dinner was served in a communal dining room. And then medications are handed out by nurses or med techs. And medications can really vary throughout the day. Some people need to get their diabetes levels checked and get some insulin in the morning before breakfast. So that could be super early. Medications will be throughout the day. Some people get wound treatments. Some people get other kinds of treatments. They might have their legs wrapped in special bandages. I'm sure I'm forgetting lots of things. And then there's lots of optional recreational activities. We were really lucky that the three of us worked together in a nonprofit long-term care center that was subsidized by a large hospital system. So I think we really saw a really great recreational therapy program, tons of activities. They took field trips. It was really the gold standard for all of that. What do you think? And I, I agree with you, Wendy. That's most, but what I also included on what Wendy says, they also have activity program throughout the day. So they do like music program or they play the card or they have outside entertainment coming for entertaining them. So throughout the during day, there is something also on socialized, besides the socialized on a dining area or whatever, they have some kind of activity that they entertain. They also have people who don't like to go out of their room. They also have activity in your room, like giving reading material or drawing material. If that somebody um, would come and play cards with you if you wanted. Yes. My favorite yeah, was the big fuzzy bunnies that used to come. Do you remember the big important. fuzzy bunnies? Yeah. Correct. One important Correct. thing to keep in mind is that nursing home residents are not one homogeneous group. The focus now is person-centered, and the role of the activities assessor is to find those kinds of individualized activities, those kinds of interests, because we have a much younger population coming into the long-term care facilities and have to remain there for the duration of their lives. So 
The focus now is person-centered. Many people have said to me throughout my years, I hate bingo. That's all they offer is bingo or I don't want to be in no sing-along. So we really need to think about the future of people that will be in nursing homes for the rest of their lives. And the programming, it has to be unique. So I just wanted to also add. And um, that is so true, Cookie, because now, as you say, a lot of youngsters coming in a nursing home too, young adult, and they are so computer wizard. So a lot of older nursing home, they don't have a capacity of computer games or computer itself where they can go, they won't like to do. So those kind of new generation equipment for entertainment themselves is also facility or long-term care responsible to provide them. As I say, computer, because nowadays, if a gentleman 45 year old, I'm sure he would want to go to computer and you know, do whatever he used to do on a computer or computer game, because you know, a lot of people yeah. now, youngster playing computer games. So they need to provide as we go up on a generation, and new technology coming up, they need to be providing those kind of technology in the long-term care to make the individual feel like they are at home. At home. Exactly. You they are at have home. the Wi-Fi capacity. They want cheesesteak subs. They don't necessarily want the general menus. They want menus that they have, they can select things from more than than just one generic type of menu. They want to eat at a different time. We've been trained to think that you get up at 7.30, you should have your breakfast by 8.30 and lunch by 12.30 and dinner by 5 or 6. No, that is not the way of thinking in the 21st century in relation to long-term care. It is not youngster only, not young adult only. Anyone, exactly. I'm giving you an example. My, yeah, I'm giving you an example myself. I was traveling... And I was in a plane and it was a dinner time. They say, okay, what you want to dinner? But then it was 10 o'clock. So I fell asleep. I didn't eat dinner. So then two in the morning, I woke up and I said, okay, I want dinner now. <laughs> so if people like us feel that way. So remember young adults, they have lived different life. So we make sure that long-term care nowadays need to fulfill their needs to make them feel like home. I would say the most of nursing home do understand that criteria and they do try their best to get those things going for young adult and the different generation that is in nursing home. So they are moving on that kind yeah, of thing, thing yeah. forward on that way. It right. is a good thing. My role as a social services director or for those other individuals in that social services arena. Sometimes we pretty much really and truly are expected to advocate on the behalf of our residents. Avocation entails anything, meaning some of what we've already discussed as far as I don't like getting up at 10 o'clock or I want to go to bed at nine o'clock or so-and-so comes in my room, and oftentimes it's about grievances from staff. The staff are not respectable. The staff sometimes don't understand that I'd rather have privacy using my telephone. So there's so many kinds of rights that I think people often overlook. 
when it comes to you living in a nursing home or whether it's six months or six years, you do have your rights and you have your right to express. So we make sure when you do come into the facility that you are aware of your rights. We inform you of your rights. And when you feel that there is a violation of your rights, when you feel like you're not being respected in a manner that you should, then you have some recourse as a resident in a nursing home facility. And in another week or two, we will have an ombudsman come on and talk to us in more detail about what their role is, what their roles are as far as being an ombudsman in a long-term care facility. But from my experience, I just want to make sure that if there are concerns or grievances that really I find to be significant, which may actually borderline or may be close to being deemed as abuse, or, and there's several different, many different kinds of abuse, whether it's verbal, whether it's physical, social isolation, exploitation. We have to make sure from a facility perspective that we are following up on those kinds of allegations. So in terms of what I do as a social worker, I make sure that your needs, your grievances are heard. There's a formal process that happens where we actually start a grievance process. We listen to your concerns and then there is there is protocol for addressing concerns and issues. Concerns and issues may not just come from the resident themselves. Those concerns can come from a family member. Often my concerns have come from family members when they're coming in. The concerns could range from environmental, it smells in here. I'm seeing rodents in here. This place is not worth a dog living in. What got what are you guys doing? So many different kinds of things that we deal with. And so understanding, advocating on the behalf of the resident and helping the resident to adjust to their environment when it comes to that decision to remain in that facility for a period of time, how do they adjust? We tried to get the psychosocial well-being needs that we talked about a bit. So just make sure that the adjustment happening and they're able to participate and accept where they are. And if they aren't able to make their own decisions, then we have to help them no matter what their transition is. And if they're fortunate enough, if they improve enough where they do are able to leave, then that's a different arena and we start that discharge process. But while they're there for the rest of their lives, then we just trying to make sure that if they are isolating themselves, is that because they're fearing someone? Is there something else that is bothering them? What is it that we can do from a facility perspective? Because it's just not my role as a social services director. It's my role as it's the roles of the interdisciplinary team. So we have some venues for which people are able to come and understand what is happening with their family member. This could be care plan conferences. We have them initially within 14 to 21 days when they do come into the into the facility. We include the family members, the responsible parties, and the residents themselves about how they're doing, what have been some of the issues, clinical, socially, those kinds of things. And so we just make sure that all dots are, all I's are dotted and all T's are crossed just to help you to through that transition of being a long-term care resident. Sooner or later, the adjustment happens. That's a good thing. But sometimes the adjustment does not occur. So we do have to include the professionals and from a psychological uh, 
arenas, the psychiatrist, the psychotherapist, psychologist. And, uh, and from a social work perspective, that's just some of what we do on a day in and day out basis. And I would say, in my experience, if you have a loved one in a long-term care center or a short-term care, and you have concerns, my advice would be, First of all, what are your expectations? Because in my experience, some people's expectations just do not match up with what these centers do. And I'll give you an example of that. Some people truly expect, well, my mother has dementia. She doesn't know where she is. I have this expectation that she's going to be have one-on-one care in a private room, and she's going to have somebody with her at all times. And that's not the reality of most places. Most places have patients taken care of by the same staff. And it's something that is frequently talked about staff to patient ratio. And it's something that is really important because I've seen a staff to patient ratio of one to 44. And I've seen a staff to patient ratio of one to four. That makes a big difference in what that person can provide for you. But I would say, first of all, calmly, And politely, and I know that's hard sometimes when you feel your emotions are high and this is your loved one, but calmly and politely have a discussion with the administration. Ask for the director of nursing or the administrator or the unit manager or somebody. First of all, ask them, what do you provide for the residents? And maybe that doesn't match up with your needs, but that ability that you are at has to also be receptive to what you're saying. If you can't get a face-to-face meeting with somebody, if you can't get people on the phone, that's a red flag. They need to be able to hear what you're saying, have a meeting with you to talk about your concerns and explain what they can do and how they're going to address your concerns. And I think if both sides can stay calm and respectful of each other, it always works out better. But I have I have experienced firsthand people that said, I couldn't get anybody on the phone. They just kept saying there was nobody in charge there. That's a bad sign. You can be patient and wait a little bit, but within 24 hours, somebody should be getting back to you. There should and always you- be a supervisor study there. What would you say in terms of issues or concerns? When do most of them come up? Usually in the beginning, when somebody first comes, your individual loved one may have very specific needs that no one knows about. And so it is important for a facility to get to know that person and get to know their needs. Again, I think sometimes expectations don't match up with the reality. And I think sometimes that facility might not be a good fit for you. And let's face it, there are facilities that aren't great out there. And think that you might have to get to the right place. And a lot of that can be done before you even get there to make sure to tour the facility, come at different times, don't come when they're expecting you to really see what's going on in that place. And I find that um, once a resident comes in and they begin to get acclimated, I find that most of the issues come from weekends. Yeah, it's true. Most places don't have as much staff on the weekends. 
Yeah. And that is so true that's... because people that work there during the weekdays, they have authority figures are there, like administrator or director of nursing or unit manager. All this hiring authority is there. So they're a little subdued of their behavior. But weekend comes, but also give you credit to the certain facility that they have rotation on weekend. Like I can take talk to you, Cookie, in your facility, you have some authority comes on a weekend to make rounds, mm -hmm. to make sure that client concern was addressed by you on a weekend and stuff like that. So a lot of facility doing that to prevent that problem that cause on a weekend because of lack of staff or lack of authority or whatever the reason is. That's a good thing that all nursing home going forward that and wendy made the point that shop around and so forth but there is a nursing home report card that anyone can reference before you decide to that placement go on that nursing home report card and on that report card you can see the number of just many different what do you call them not tags but there are many different kinds of issues that stars exactly that you can see whether they have the number of falls you can see the number of wounds, the states, surveyors. Yeah. And I would yeah. say like sometimes I find those scores are a little deceiving. But if you go on there and your facility that you're looking at is a one star, that's a red flag. Like sometimes I find if they're three, four, five, it could be that they had just an unlucky survey or something else. I remember one time I worked for a facility that we just weren't submitting something on time be, just because of a computer glitch. We didn't even know it. And when and we realized right. that it was only after the effect, we realized that it was because our five-star went down to a four-star, which we quickly corrected. And it was a paperwork issue. But I would say if, you're, if yours is a one or a two-star, that's a red flag. You might want to look into that. Yeah. And I agree with you, Wendy, because I'm working on one of a facility and one month, we staffing ratio that we provide to state was wrong. We call PBGA. Oh, it yeah. was wrong. And that dropped to our five star to one because right. the five star to three star because the ratio was wrong and that screwed up. So that is a lot of other reason mechanical you call computer glitch that caused <laughs> yep, five star to happen. go down mm -hmm. but it shouldn't go down than one from five stars so that's really the issue here so with that says now we are going to go see what is mds coordinator stand for mds stand for mini data set what that means is state has created the call the form which is the healthcare form for each client. And what happened is we fill out that form, what patient condition at that point, and we transmit that form to state. Also with that, there is level of care, make a decision, state making decision, this is a level of care that they're gonna provide. Also by monthly, we have to provide the state level of care, telling them monthly what the patient need. And based on that, we build the medical state 
the level of care about the requirement care for that particular client. And based on that report, the state pays us. But now, one thing I tell you, whatever you do, state comes in end of year and look at your data that you provided. It's called auditing. If you provide something and they found you provide wrong, they will take money from, from the facility. That is the role of <coughs> MNES, provide the true picture, healthcare picture to the government so they subsidize finance for that particular individual. And that's what MDS role falls on a long-term care. Also certain things like the, we provide insulin every day. State doesn't know we provide insulin to that client. So we build that to state saying, okay, this month, this client receive insulin 60 times. They subside pay for that. So individual service, we provide that. And that's the MDS coordinator role to provide the state through healthcare picture of client every month. So based on that picture or information, they pay us. And that's the main role of MDS coordinator on long-term care. And I've already talked a lot about this, but nursing in a long-term care center, it's pretty much like what I said in a typical day. The nurse is going to hand out the medications, administer any insulin injections, any other injections. They can give flu shots, COVID vaccines, IVs, any IVs that a patient might need. We usually do those in a long-term care center. Wound care, wound treatments. And they coordinate the patient's plan of care, meaning that if the patient's got an illness or if the patient needs a specialist doctor's appointment, if the patient needs transportation somewhere or they're going out for a leave of absence, the nurse is really the person that is communicating all of that with the physician because typically in a long-term care center, the physician isn't there day to day. They may, may be there from time to time, but they're not there 24-7. And so the nurses are really the person who's communicating that plan of care so that they make sure everything's taken care of for the patient. So that's about it. Okay. And to add to that, I'm going to just talk about some of the other challenges. If I, what comes to mind is just number one, having your loved one adjust to this environment, but also having you, the family member, the re responsible party also be involved and remain involved because one of the sadder situations is that people who are admitted after maybe three to six months, you may not see that kind of family support that is so often needed. So the challenge is just to help that person, help that loved one make that transition. I find that another particular challenge would be who's making the decision. We talked a few weeks ago about healthcare decision-making, who that person has entrusted to make decisions for you, whether it's about life-sustaining procedures or just general day-in and day-out basic care. Another challenge, and we touched on, is just that you need to know who's who in, in, in the nursing home. If you don't know who the administrator is, if you don't know who the director of nursing is, if you don't know who that nurse manager is on that particular unit, that particular floor, 
If you don't know who your social service worker is, your social worker, then you need to do your homework. When you come in, the admissions person oftentimes gives you that information. Review it. Understand it. Understand the rights of your family member, your loved one. Understand your own rights. If you yourself have to make a nursing home a place where you reside for the rest of your life. And understand that you have some advocates outside of that nursing home environment. You have your long-term care ombudsman person. She's a volunteer, and sometimes she works for the county, whether your county is Allegheny County, whether your county is Baltimore County. Find out who that person is that will be able to be called and discuss those kinds of issues that you think are not being resolved for you. That's what I said would be, that's how I feel would be maybe some of the challenges from a social work perspective. And Pinky, I know we brought up this topic about different cultures, religions, and diversity handled in long-term care. I remember a specific situation where I will never forget these folks. It was a husband and wife both having knee replacements at the same time. And they were of your culture, Pinky. And so you were able to speak to them in your native language. And I think that brought them so much comfort to have you there. Yeah, and that's what we, yeah. not just my culture. There is a different culture like Russian, Spanish, all these people, Vietnam or Korean. People are different culture coming in a facility. And it is so important that they feel like they can communicate with you without their loved one hanging over. Because look at the space. Patients, family, their son or daughter probably working all day. So they're not going to sit on a bedside and become your translator for your loved one. So we need to keep understanding that, yes, if I'm there, make sure you use your staff. Like we have a Spanish client and we have a Spanish employee. So we try to tell the Spanish to go talk to them a little bit, give them a comfort. And I agree with you, Wendy, when you come in and like at an elder age in a nursing home, and if you don't speak, your language and it's so difficult for them they feel like they are isolated because they cannot speak what they wanted to speak so now new technology coming called we call a blue phone uh-huh. it's the phone that you can push on a button and you can talk on your language and the other side can sleep in english so it's become easy for communication. I've used that language line on many occasions. I've taken that language line into the room and dialed that, dialed the instructions and was able to speak, have the persons interpret and speak, whether it was Russian, whether the language was Spanish, or Latino, Latin, whatever the Every facility should invest in a language line, and that is something that you should ask the facility before your loved one is admitted. Do you have a language line, especially if they are of another ethnicity? And I think it's actually, I know it's a regulation in Maryland that you have to have it. I suspect it probably is in most facilities these days. And Wendy is right. It is regulation that provide the communication. But again, what Wendy says, human nature, 
talking on a phone and talking personally make a difference. Mm -hmm. So my experience, whichever I'm facility I'm working and if I have somebody that speaks my language, we call Gucci or Hindi or Punjabi. I try to go and see that and make them comfort that if you have any question and not been answered by other staff, please ask for me. And yeah. I'm glad to come down and help them. It's just that one sentence, like I will come and help you make it so much different for them to be adjusting on a new environment which they not used to be. So keep that in a human nature that individual communication is so important in a different culture. So keeping all, I will tell all my listeners that if you have a different authenticity and culture, and if you have working on a facility and you see your culture client arrive in your facility, please make five minutes of your time and go talk to them and make them comfortable and adjustable to new environment. I'm telling you, it it will serve you guys better because now they feel like, oh, there is somebody for me here. And sometimes when they are not adjusting well, there's some behavior comes up. Not because that the patient has a behavior problem, but because they are isolated, not able to communicate what things certain behaviors comes out it has so to be it's frightening to be pro yeah and it is that is reason because mm -hmm. they are frightened and the behavior come because of nature of fright sure so you, please you have a please, medical please, concern sure. that you're trying to get across and you have that communication barrier i can't imagine I remember in one particular situation where we had a Muslim student and it was very important to pray three times a day. So we actually provided that resident the opportunity to continue to worship in the way that they were familiar with. And then I know we're going to address this in a later episode, Wendy, but just in terms of sexual orientation, we really need to talk about what's happening in long-term care facilities and what are some of the ways that will happen, helping people to be to feel accepted, not to feel alienated, and how we are able to allow people to identify in the way that they want to be identified. So that's very important. And we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that. Especially in our that. elderly population, because yes. they may not be at the same place in life that the younger generations are. So you could have somebody at the end of their life who really hasn't come out to their family. And you have to be very protective of their situation and their feelings. Don't make decisions for them. So the one thing I wanted to bring up is we are at the three-year mark with COVID. It's January 2023 and January 2020 is when we started to see COVID really hit the West Coast of the United States. It had already been pretty devastating in Asia because nursing homes are the silent majority, in many ways, they're the invisible people that we don't really talk about much. We don't see them on the news. But I just can't overstate how much of an impact this has had, COVID has had on long-term care. 8% of people who live in United States long-term care facilities have died 
nearly one in 12 people died from COVID. COVID hit long-term care facilities worse than any other place in the United States. I think that's where it got a lot of the beginning media attention was in some long-term care centers in Washington and Oregon. And here on the East Coast, three years later, I can see that it has really changed long-term care, probably permanently. Like, I believe a lot of people died. People became afraid of long-term care centers. They didn't want to go visit. They certainly didn't want to send their loved ones there. I work in hospice now, and we saw a lot of people coming to hospice that normally would totally be in a long-term care center because they were terrified of sending their loved one to a long-term care center. We saw people pulling their loved ones out of long-term care centers because of COVID and taking them home. And I think it will have a huge permanent impact on the whole industry. And it already has. And we're just seeing people seek long-term care in different ways than they did previous to the COVID outbreak. People can predict what's going to happen, but I think we really don't know what's going to happen. I think the long-term care industry in general is in a real crisis. It was in crisis before COVID, and now it's really in crisis. We here on the East Coast, we're seeing a lot of changeover of companies buying and selling of long-term care businesses and and centers. And that consistency is good. And this is not consistent. I want to paint a doom and gloom picture, but I think we really need to sit back and see what happens with the long-term care industry. And I think it does need a lot of assistance from the community, from our government, from state, federal, local. I think we need to wrap our arms around our elderly populations that don't have homes. The, this is their homes. So let's take a break and we will be right back. Okay, welcome back. This is the part of our podcast where we will review any feedback or questions received and give you some resources if you need to continue your research. The place that I got the information about COVID was a really amazing website called the COVID Tracking Project. And they did an article in The Atlantic that's really good, but you can just look it up. If you just Google the COVID tracking project, it'll come out with lots of stats over the last three years. It's really good. And actually, the data that I have is somewhat old, so I'm sure it's probably escalated by now. The COVID tracking project dot com is really where you want to go for that. Also, Medicare is a really great resource for long-term care. Cookie said earlier, they have the five-star rating. So if you just Google Medicare and nursing homes, it'll come up with the five-star rating. You can put your zip code in, you can compare, you can pick five nursing homes in your area that are close to your home and click on compare and it'll compare all five of them, give you more information than you probably ever wanted. Now it's Pinky's turn we call to give you some abbreviation for this medical abbreviation. So let's talk about that. I'm going to do definition to my abbreviation too at this time so people understand. PUD, peptic ulcer, disease of stomach. PT, 
prothrombin time a measure of blood clotting uti urinary tract infection infection of bladder and kidney xrt radiotherapy therapy to use radiation pat proximal tachycardia is a distribution of heart rhythm with that says it's time for my final and laugh of the podcast let's <laughs> go about it i told my physical therapy i broke my arm into places he told me to stop going to those places sorry i can't stop laughing about this joke no i'm excited that i got a laugh out of you <laughs> yeah that was good one so this is our show for today we hope you enjoy our podcast please subscribe to our upcoming episodes we will be releasing new episodes every other tuesday morning if you have any questions feedback or ideas for future topics please visit our website www.seniorscast.com you can email us at seniors at seniorscast.com if you would like to help us get our young podcast off the ground Please give our podcast a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We also have a Facebook page. If you just go on Facebook and search seniors and the people who love them, you will find us. We are the only one of that name. And if you like and follow our Facebook page, that will also help us. And thank you. Until next time, I'm Pinky. I'm Cookie. And I'm Wendy. Bye-bye. Get your COVID vaccine. Bye.